just right now, in the moment that we're in, I want to share something with you. So whether here or in the hub, I invite you to stay standing. The, the scripture we're going to share today is, uh, it says, make room for us. It says, make room for us. My question is, as we hear this song and we're, okay, he's bigger than I thought. There's no negotiation. I know we're in the summer. And for some, you're just getting out of school. There's lots of things maybe on our minds. But could we make room? Make room for God's word today. Make room to hear from him. Make room to, in fact, repent. See, Paul's writing this letter, and it's a form of confrontation. And with godly confrontation can come a godly comfort. And I believe that that comfort is here for us today. We're going to be receiving communion a little bit later, and it's a chance for us to reflect on what God has begun in our heart, what he may be calling us away from or or towards. But when we make room, see, so often we compartmentalize. This group of friends, we do this with this people, we do this with this people, we kind of put, like, God. this is our, our God box, okay? This is where, like, this is Sunday, or this is whatever day, or this is community group, like, this is, God wants all of it to make room in our hearts for him. Would you pray with me, God? We are so thankful that you've made room for us. You gave your only son for us. I pray that our hearts are are open to to receive, to to hear this message from scripture. God, that that we'd be willing to repent. We'd be willing to to take that step of faith, maybe to to put shame aside and and lift up this, this forgiveness that you've so graciously given us. God, pray our hearts would be open for you've made room for us. Let us make room for you. It's in your name we pray, the name of Jesus. Amen. You may be seated. Well, this is our series, Power and Weakness, out of Second Corinthians. And we've been studying quite a bit through this um, this year. Uh, we were in First Corinthians last year, and now Second Corinthians uh, this year. It's been an exciting journey. When you came in, you were given a program. Hopefully, uh, you, you got some notes there if you'd like to take that. Also, the next step card, I invite you now to begin filling that out. We'll have a short time at the end, uh, but if you could start filling that out now, we ask everyone uh, to do that just to help us. We all have a next step. And um, also, there's the app. The notes are on the app. I encourage you to use that. I want to pick up where I, I kind of shared. It says, make room for us. This is in Second Corinthians 7, 2. Make room for us in your hearts. We have wronged no one. We've corrupted no one. We've taken advantage of no one. I don't say this to condemn you, for I said before that you are in our hearts to die together and to live together. I'm acting with great boldness towards you, for I have great pride in you, and I'm filled with comfort. In all our affliction, I'm overflowing with joy. So, so Paul's writing this letter to the church in Corinth, and, and they've had quite the journey. He's actually written four letters, and, and, but he's writing this one. He's saying, I have some great joy, which has changed because there used to not be joy, but now there's joy, and that's a good thing, right? Well, he wrote four letters, and I want to talk through them uh, just a bit. The first letter, it was mentioned in 1 Corinthians 5, but it's not actually part of the Bible. That's his first letter that he wrote them following him planting the church and spending time with them. He knows them very well. The second letter that he wrote, that's 1 Corinthians. We studied that last year. If you weren't, maybe you're new to Rock Harbor, you can check that on the app or online if you have the interwebs and you get an opportunity to, to catch up and kind of see what 1 Corinthians was all 
about the third letter was a severe letter. It was mentioned, it's not in, in, the, in scripture, but it's mentioned multiple times. And the problem with this was it was a harsh letter. He really came at him. And so this is a follow-up to the harshness, okay? That was like the bad cop. This is a little bit more good cop. Um, but he's coming in and he doesn't really know how they feel about him. So he thinks, I have an idea. Rather than me go, I'm going to send Titus. So he sends this guy, Titus, a younger dude. And he's like, hey, broski. It's on Yuski, you know, and so he goes and he's going to see how it, it goes with him. And now this is a letter in response to what Titus brought back to him. And this is called Second Corinthians. So that's why we're studying that. If you think about it this way, he's communicating since he was there last now four times through letters. Okay. This is like us sending a text message and not getting a response. See, when I do that to my kids, I get those arrows that point up like they ask something. Usually money, stay out later other plans canceling on me. And so then they, you know, hey, we'll mow later. Is that okay? No answer. Arrows, you know, which I just, I ghost them back. I don't reply because then it means that's a no. Um, And I save myself some typing and it kind of makes it awkward. And it's like, I run this place, you know, so I'm a horrible dad. But if you send that text and you're waiting on the text, or then you make that phone call and you leave that message and they don't call back, and, or you send the email and you're not hearing back, it's like you just show up at their house, right? <laughs> well, that's weird. But Paul can't just show up because God has him about his business in this, in this ministry. And a couple of times, he's in some different places, but he's writing these letters. And so he sends Titus. And this is uh, kind of the journey that they've been on. And here's the emotions that Paul has because We may think Paul's bold. He actually has some sensitive side to him, even as the bold pastor that he is. Verse 5, it says, For even when we came to Macedonia, our bodies had no rest, but we were afflicted at every turn, fighting without and fear within. It was a physical battle for him to do ministry. It was not easy. It was like some, some of you, you've been in other countries or you've, you know, you've camped out or you've been, okay, that's kind of hard. Just imagine that. And then also knowing that a lot of people wanted to kill you at the same time. Okay. And that's what Paul is experiencing. He's in and out of jail. He's been beaten. He's been shipwrecked. All this is going on. And he's saying, hey, there's the physical side of it, but there's also the, the spiritual side to it. I've shared this before, but I want to say it again. Loving and leading comes with much suffering. We're called to love and lead. That's what we say around here a lot. Hey, we're to love and lead one another to be devoted followers of Jesus. And it comes with much suffering. But you know what else about loving and leading? If you're truly a follower of Jesus, the hardest things that you're ever going to face in your life are not going to be a physical diagnosis. Those are difficult. It's not going to be physical pain, although that is really hard. It's going to be the spiritual battle. The closer you grow in relationship with God, here's why. God is going to call you out and you're going to have to make a sacrifice that's going to starve your flesh some. He may call you out in a way that you're to confront or to go talk to a friend and share something with them. And you may know that that relationship, they may choose to put you aside and you may lose that relationship for God's sake. It's not you being righteously right and going around and looking, you know, being the Jesus police and seeing who you can get in trouble with God or anything. But it's honestly saying, hey, as a brother, as a sister, I love you. And Paul's been writing these letters. And as a brother, as, a, as your pastor, as your friend, 
And what have they done? They've said, no, you're a false teacher. He's saying, no, you're teaching what you're saying is false. And they're like, no, you're a false teacher. Who do you think you are? You're just doing it for the money. He's like, dude, I don't have anything. Like I'm a tent maker. I make a tent. And then sometimes they give me an offering and I go to the next place and I've, I've got infirmities and I've got struggles, but you're calling like, and so he's dealing with this and he's going, I'm just trying to serve the Lord. And I have people on all sides of me that hate me. And here's the thing about godly confrontation. It's not easy, but it's necessary. It's not easy, but it's necessary. But guess what? Now Paul's getting this good news. Hey, they received the correction. Hey, bro, they got your letters. They got the letters. They received the correction. I actually like being around them. Titus is like, for God, it says in verse 6, but God who comforts the downcast comforted us by the coming of Titus. They're like, we actually like the guy. Have you ever been on one of those things? Have you ever had that conversation with maybe a friend or one of your kids or a spouse or something? You're like, dude, I don't want to go at all to the thing. And they're like, yeah, me neither, but we have to. You know, it's that kind of thing. (laughs) You're like, yeah, we probably should. This is different than that. Like, dude, I don't want to go to Corinth. They hate me. Titus, brother, you need to go. Like, you're up. Like, you, you drew the short straw, you're on. You have to go. And now he's like, I actually like these people. I want to spend time with them. I think you would actually like them too, Paul. I remember the people that used to be, they're kind of back to those same people. Verse 7, and not only by his coming, but also by the comfort which he was comforted by you, as he told us of your longing, your mourning, your zeal for me, so that I rejoice still the more. It says they have a zeal for Paul. The one whom they used to hate, now all of a sudden they're like, we like him. It says they're mourning. They're actually not just feeling sorry for the sin that they've done, but repenting of that sin. There's this mourning that's taken place. It's totally different. See, when you send that text and you don't get that response, you start to fill in the blanks of communication, probably in a negative manner. You're kind of assuming the worst. I don't, but you do. Many of you do. You assume the worst, right? You're like, yeah, you know, I, they're not really that busy. They just posted they could have replied by now. Like you, you've had those thoughts. I've never had them. You guys have had them. But instead, now he's getting back this report that they're mourning, that they're actually grieving. You know what it's called? It's called a godly regret. A godly regret. Not just shame. No, shame's not from God. There's a conviction that's come in. A godly regret's taken place. Verse 9. For you felt a godly grief or regret so that you suffer, suffered no loss through us. For godly grief or regret produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret. It leads to salvation. The reason I put that word regret in there is because grief sometimes we associate with a loss, like a loss of a loved one, a loss of a relationship. We grieve the loss of those different things. And so that, that regret probably better describes what is taking place. There's a godly regret that goes in. And this godly regret and grief that happens, it's over the fact that we've sinned. It's a regret over the fact that we've sinned against a righteous and a holy God. Like, I want to make that right. Because there's two types of regret. There's a worldly regret and there's a godly regret. A worldly regret is where we feel guilty for something we did because it didn't really work out and we look kind of dumb. We're kind of humiliated by that decision or we're worried about what other people might think. Or we sinned and we want our parents, we're going to get in good graces with them again. And so we're like, I just feel bad because I got caught. It's not this feeling of like repentance. 
It's not a feeling of like, that was not right before God. I need to apologize to my parents, but first and foremost, before God. I need to apologize to my spouse. No, first and foremost, before God. Not a worldly regret, but a a godly regret. The worldly one may have some remorse. There may be even emotions that are involved with it or crying or even this, a, a depression can set in because there's this regret for what took place. But a godly regret is just different than that. A, a worldly regret, it doesn't come from the Holy Spirit. It comes from, I look bad in their eyes. See, a godly regret, it's the Holy Spirit touching your heart. And all of a sudden you're like, that was wrong. And I will respond to the work of the Holy Spirit in my life. There's a different thing here. It's conviction of sin. It's, no, I sinned against a righteous and a holy God. But a worldly regret, it's, I think I lost some status with them and I got to earn that trust back so I can get back my stuff. I can, hopefully everybody at work, if I, if I, I feel bad, man, if I can just like bring it up, kick it up a notch, then I'll get their approval. Everything will get back to what it was. I shouldn't have done that, but maybe I can work this out. I can manage the perceptions of other people. I can get back in good graces with people if I work hard enough. It's, it's just simply feeling sorry for what you did. It's not necessarily when we actually repent for what we've done. How about this? Like, I feel bad because I looked bad versus I feel bad because I reflected God poorly. I feel bad because I looked bad versus I feel bad because I reflected God badly. Like, I made God look bad. That's a big deal. That's a big difference. The sin that we commit, yes, we have horizontal relationships where we should apologize, but it's not just against other people. There's a relationship with God. It's not just vertical, it's horizontal. To make that right, to confess that sin, and that's what repentance is. Verse 7 says it this way, so that I rejoice still more. For even if, you may, for even if I made you grieve with my letter, I do not regret it. Though I did regret it, for I see, that was like a total Yoda move. Like, I didn't regret, no, I do. I, yes, oh, no, yes. Um, yeah. <laughs> for I see, I did not, I do not regret it, though I did regret it. For I see that the letter grieved you, though for only a while, as it is, I rejoice. This is parenting. <laughs> Let's handle it this way. This sounds, that sounds good. Let's do it. Yeah, yeah. Oh, man, we shouldn't have done it that way. I hope that worked out. But I'm really glad we kind of said it that way. Like, that. is that good? Okay, chest bumps? Okay, let's go. Um, and then you're just like, yeah. I mean, it, it's, parenting's the worst. How do you, <laughs> you're just trying. You're just like, dear Lord, you're praying, you're seeking his face, you're asking for help, whether on purpose or you just don't literally know what to do. And so you kind of go like, let's try this. How do you think God feels about us? We got issues, right? And he's going, man, I grieved because I knew this hurt you, but then I was glad that I did, but then I kind of still felt bad because he has a sensitive conscience in this area. And he's brought pain to them because these are hard letters to read. He's their spiritual father. He's hearing these group of people. It's like, man, Paul used to be with us and he's just changed. But he's saying that we've changed. And they choose to repent. And be changed by God. You know what pain does? Pain is a, it, it inclines our ear to let you know that maybe there's something deeper going on in your body. Sometimes there's pain before you get a diagnosis. 
I would ask, whether you're in this room or over at the hub, I would ask how many of you have had your appendix removed, but it's probably a violation of HIPAA, so I'm not going to do that. <laughs> but let's, let's, let's say you do have some pain, and you're like, oh, I've had pain a couple of times, and come to find out it was just gas, you know? I'm like, oh, okay, I'm fine. Um, or that I hadn't worked out in a month, and it's like, of course, every bit of your body's going to burn like it's coming out of you. And I'm like, okay, that's no problem. Um, by the way, which side is the appendix on? It's my right. So this side. Okay. I need to remember that. Um, just like if, if I don't feel right on my right, then it might be right. Okay. I'll try to remember. Cause I never know. Cause I'm like, ah, you know, something's wrong with me, but often you'll feel something before destruction takes place. And there's some pain that would be there. It's like a kid in a stove where you tell them over and over to not touch it, but then they decide that they're going to, and that first pain they get, you know, just skin layer number one, that they're just like, well, that was hot. It, it wasn't full destruction, but it was enough to get the attention. And sometimes pain, it, pain is not always bad. Sometimes it's good to let us know about something deeper that could happen or something deeper that might be going on. There are some of you in this room that you have a sensitive conscience. For whatever reason, maybe when you were younger, maybe it's because you gave your life to Jesus Christ and you have this sensitive conscience when you begin to do something that you shouldn't do or when you've done something that you shouldn't do or other people around are doing something that they shouldn't do. Like it comes into your mind. You have a sensitive spirit to like, I shouldn't, I need to stop. This isn't okay. Something happens in your heart. And I want you to know that that's a gift. That's a gift. A sensitive conscience is a gift. But it's also a gift you can lose. Because it doesn't take too long. Says, here's what happened. That sensitive heart, this group of people, my spidey sense tells me that this isn't maybe a group of people that I should be around. But when you say, I'm going to be okay, it's going to be just fine. Everybody else is kind of doing these things and is around this kind of thing. I'm, I'm strong enough. Like, this is okay. I'm not, I'm not the one doing it. Well, I've just done it just one time. It's not that big of a deal. Like, I can continue. And next thing you know, it's like you're fully connected to something. A lifestyle, a person. He, you know, we're just friends. Let's, I mean, we're, we're not going to get married. You know, I, I don't really intend on, on marrying them, but we're going to live together just because like the like finances and roommate stuff and all that. And it's okay. Like next thing you know, we find ourselves in a place and that soft, sensitive heart has become a hard heart. We don't have to look very far in scripture to see it. I know that I've personally been through that in my life where I start thinking it's okay. It's not that big a deal. And then I'm like, wow, I've come a long way in this area. I need to confess this. I need to make this right. I need to have a conversation first with God and then with someone else. See, verse number nine, it says, as it is, I rejoice, not because you were grieved, but because you were grieving, grieved into repenting for you felt a godly grief so that you suffered no loss through us for godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret. Whereas worldly grief produces death. Godly grief, life, salvation. Worldly grief, death. Godly grief is where salvation comes in. I have sinned. Jesus paid that price for my sin. I'm receiving that gift of salvation. 
Call on his name. He's going to answer you. Knock and the door will be opened. That's what salvation is. That's the beginning of a relationship with Jesus Christ. And that's where love and life enter in. But worldly grief is I'm going to manage the perceptions. I want to be okay in their eyes. I'm not as concerned about his eyes, but I'm more, am I okay in what people would, I'm not saying you guys are worldly and ungodly. Sorry, I'm doing this. And some of you are like, whoa, stop pointing at me, bro. So I'm not trying to say that. Just roll with me here. Okay, I had to use, use my hands. I got to do something. I don't know what else to do with them. Um, okay, maybe you've got some worldly grief that's over here. It's for the wrong reasons. It's the wrong God. It's worshiping that approval versus the one that matters most. The one that doesn't want you to negotiate anymore. The one that's bigger than you thought that he was. The one that promises you rest in the Father's hands. But I feel comforted by them. Because they're one text away. And they've been my friend since day one. Or I enjoy being with them. So this isn't your day one? This isn't the Alpha and the Omega? This isn't the author and the creator of all things? No, that's capital G-O-D. And those are a bunch of lowercase G-O-D-S's. And we find ourselves worshiping that. But there's a godly grief and a godly repentance that wants to be produced in our life. And I know it's school's out, but I got to drop an equation on you, okay? Godly regret plus repentance equals, wait five minutes, okay? We're just going to stop at repentance for a second, okay? Godly regret plus repentance. There's hope. I don't know why repentance gets such a bad rap. Like, we feel like if we repent of something like, oh, we've just told everybody that we, 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 we messed up. They probably already know, and they have too, okay? So it's not really that big of a deal to repent to seek repentance. See, sorry, when we say I'm sorry, and there's a difference between sorry and repentance. When we say I'm, I'm sorry is more of like a feeling. I feel sorry. Repentance is an action. When we, we're like, hey, I'm sorry. We have a feeling of sadness. There's sorrow. There's, there's grief over, over. We messed up and we don't look great in other people's eyes. So I want to I make that right. Repentance is a complete change. It's a mind shift. It's a change of mind and purpose. It's when we turn away. In fact, the Greek word, metatona, it's to think differently, to reconsider. Here's what repentance is. Let's say we're going this way in our life and what we realize it's brought because the Holy Spirit comes to us and tells us what we're doing is wrong. And we need forgiveness of that sin. Let's say that that sin is lust. And we have had lust in our mind, lust in our heart. Maybe we're looking at things that we shouldn't look at, but lust has overtaken us. And we know the Holy Spirit has brought the conviction, not the shame, not the guilt, the conviction of sin. Repentance is saying, forgive me. The only one that can forgive me. I have fallen short before a holy and righteous God. Please forgive me. Make me new. I'm turning, I'm 180, I'm turning from those wicked ways and pursuing the things of God. That's repentance. I'm sorry is, I can't believe I got caught. I'm kind of, it's more, it's a difference. Like it's all like about being caught rather than being found out or I kind of felt guilty about it. So I kind of told like a couple of people, like I'm kind of having a problem. 
Um, I'm not going to like tell other people or tell my spouse or um, really change, but I'm really sorry for doing that. I'm going to, I'm going to go this way, but I'm not doing that anymore, but I'm going to go this way. And it's still in our ear and it's still in a peripheral and repentance is saying, no, I'm changing. You know, John the Baptist, like number one message that he said, repent. Repent, for you would be saved. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. It's all about Jesus. The Messiah has come. Repent, repent, and be saved. Jesus' message. Repent, repent, repent. Repent, you brood of vipers. It's a salvation message. But repentance isn't only salvation. Repentance is something that we can actually do every single day and multiple times a day. Not to uphold our salvation, but because we have Jesus Christ, we're a follower of him. We can have freedom in our relationship with him by repenting. Repentance is a really, really good thing. Repentance is not weakness. No, it's actually the beginning of strength. It's where strength begins. That's a great starting point. Maybe today, or maybe because of things that have gone in your life, that today is a day of repentance for you. And you're not just going to say, I'm sorry, and head this direction. You are going to about face. And you are going to leave that behind you. But guess what happens? For some of you, shame. You've repented. But as you've turned, you've allowed Satan to remind you of what's there. And he tells you what's behind you, and it's brought you down. The shame is overwhelming. You can't look up to all that God has for you because you're so concerned about who you once were or what you once did or what other people might think about you. They're never going to believe me. Dude is writing a group of people that no one believed him. They wouldn't let him come to church gatherings because he was just killing Christians. And now he's saying, I am a Christ follower. And they're going... I don't want to be at that Bible study. He, he's going to come in and he's going to, he, he's, he's trying to find us. This is an underground study for a reason and he's not allowed. And we're worried about what people are going to think. Once again, the wrong God. And we're looking down at man as a God rather than the Lord Jesus Christ. And some of you, today's a message for you that you need to hear about repentance. And there's some of you, you need to hear a message of you've been forgiven. And if Satan can't control the fact that you've sought repentance and you've turned, guess what he wants to do? He wants you to forget that you've been forgiven and not reap the benefits of forgiveness. He wants to keep you paralyzed by all of what was rather than all that what is that God has for you. There's freedom, there's hope there for you. That verse 11, it talks about eagerness instead of apathy. There should be a zeal in us that, I mean, they've changed. They're now eager about confessing sin. They're eager about seeking God. They're eager about a relationship with Paul, whom they didn't like. They used to be apathetic. And you know what apathy is? I said it a couple of weeks ago. It's not saying, I could care less. It's saying, I care a little less. And they cared a little less for a while. And just like that shift that takes place when our heart hardens, their heart hardened too. 
What if you're in a meeting, let's say you're meeting with a group of people, and you say something that you shouldn't say. What if you stopped and said, hey, hold on real quick, before we go any further, like, what I said, that was not okay. I know you guys know me, and we joke around about stuff, but that wasn't okay to say that about another person. That wasn't, that was dishonoring or whatever. People would be like, whoa. Like, we all kind of talk like that. Dude, you can talk like that. It's totally fine. Like, everybody, like, that's apathy. Apathy is like, it's kind of what goes on. What if in your parenting you cross over a line and you step into, instead of like justifying your own behaviors because of your kid's behavior, how about that one, right? Let's justify my sin because they're psycho, you know? <laughs> and so what if you stop and you say, you know what, I'm sorry. Will you forgive me? I, I, I lost that. It doesn't change the fact that you're psycho, but I am sorry <laughs> for sinning. Your psycho doesn't justify my sin, so I, I want to apologize. What would happen... The next time we do that in a meeting or with our kids and then we apologize again. We're going to kind of stop doing that because we can't apologize every meeting. We're going to change. And that's what repentance looks like. But instead, we want to justify ourselves. And then our friends say stuff like, yeah, dude, your kids are psycho. You're fully justified. Or did you, you've seen me freak out. Like we all freak, you know. And so it's okay. No, before a righteous and holy God, it's not okay. And now they found their place into eagerness to where they're excited. They're grieving. You know, I was thinking about this and um, preparing for this message and kind of do like a run through on Wednesday. And the guys in the room, they were like, uh, so you know we have the groundbreaking on Sunday? I'm like, yeah. You're, this message is pretty strong. Like, it's not the pre-party. Like, hey, boom, boom, boom. We're going to break some ground. Repent! You know, it's like, like nobody's coming to that party, you know? But I started thinking about it. Here's the reality. What does the Lord want from us? The Lord wants a repentant heart. Salvation comes at repentance. That's the hope of the world. That's the freedom that he promises us. And can we be excited about breaking ground and be excited about all that stuff? Absolutely. And we should be because it's the favor of God. It's God's thing. From day one, it's God's thing. It's about building lives, not a building. So repentance is necessary. Repentance needs to be a common message, a common theme that's hurt. And we should grieve when we fall short. How do you respond when someone else comes to you and says, hey, I want to let you know. Like, I love you, but I want to let you know something about you. That you may not know, but I care enough about you to share that. How do you, how do you receive that? Because those are hard things. In verse 13, it talks about this godly confrontation, bringing a godly comfort. It says comfort like 12 times in this scripture. It says, therefore we were comforted, and besides our own comfort, we rejoiced still the more at the joy of Titus, because his spirit has been refreshed. And here's the answer to your equation. Godly regret plus repentance equals refreshment. Refreshment will come when we have this godly regret that's because we have sin before a holy and righteous God. And when we repent and we turn from that sin, we're made new. We're refreshed. 
I like to backpack. Some of you guys like to camp and hike and be outside. Or maybe you just like to weed eat. You know, and you're just enjoying stuff like that. And you go to get in the shower after three or four days. And you've just had the deodorant shower. You know what I'm talking about. And so you're going in and you're showering and you're like, yes. You're watching things that you didn't know were on your body run off of your body. And you're like, I'm a man. You know, it just feels real. Or I'm a woman. Okay. Whatever it is. And your legs are hairy, whether you're a man or you're a woman. And you're, you're going, you know what? That feeling, you're just like the refreshment feeling. And stuff's coming out of your beard you didn't even know was there. You know it takes like three times the amount of shampoo to wash my beard than my hair. But that's just personal information. <laughs> like that's personal. And that was only for this service because I will not say that again. Um, now I'm getting crazy. Uh, it's a refreshment that awaits us. You know, true repentance can repair a relationship. (laughs) It's funny. Do you know, before there was all this scientific research and psychotherapy about how to handle something, Paul had figured out when you approach things in a positive manner, people respond differently. Research tells us that there's a 30% better response within our minds when we're approached in a positive manner. And listen what Paul does. He brings it. He says, for whatever boasts I made about him, about you, I was not put to shame. He's proud of them. He says, hey, group of people, just as everything we said to you was true, so also our boasting before Titus has proved to be true. And his affection for you is even greater. As he remembers the obedience Of you all, how you received him with fear and trembling. For I rejoice because I have complete confidence in you. They went from like the least favorite kid church (laughs) to the most favorite kid church. He's going, I believe in you. I have confidence in you. I want to watch God do a miracle through you. And there's some of you in here, you need to hear that message. Some of you, you've been walking with God for a long time and you're faithful in that and that's incredible. Keep grinding that out. I've heard people feel guilty because they don't have some horrible testimony about what they used to do. They're just walking with God and they're continuing to pursue him and they're growing in their relationship with him. I'm not talking being stagnant. I'm like, they're just like, I'm just going forth. And they feel bad like they didn't have something they were really saved from. Well, we've all sinned, so there's one thing you have. But then I also know people that you need to hear the message that the most jacked up church was the one he had the most confidence in. And he was pumped about where they were headed. And God is excited. He's drawing you out to lift your head out of that shame and up to all that he has for you. Freedom can come. Relationships can be restored when godly regret is handled the right way. For if we embrace godly regret and we humble ourselves and repent, we'll find life.